So it's Matthew 13, verses 1 to 23. And you'll find that on page 690. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such lad large crowds gathered around him so that he got into a crowd get into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore then he told them many things in parables saying a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty or thirty times was it so what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven was being given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have abundance. Whoever does not have... Even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Through those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become castles. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed you are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen, then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is what seed sown along the path. The one who receives the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of his life, this life, and deceitful of wealth choke it, making him unfruitful. 
But this, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times that what was sown. <laughs> uh, friends, let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to pray now that we would be people who have ears to hear and eyes to see, that uh, we would have hearts that will change in accordance with your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I love most of all about long-term ministry in this church is that uh, being able to see the seed of the gospel being, being planted in lives and finding root and bearing fruit over a period of time. And I was particularly uh, encouraged uh, to hear during the week of one of the young guys that's grown up in our church through Sunday school and youth group and so on, preached his first sermon last week in his school chapel and uh, acknowledged to be a guy who uh, was a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, is now bearing fruit uh, in that kind of way. That's a nice story, isn't it? That's a good story. You can ask me later who, who that is. <laughs> but uh, I remember, you know, um, I think sharing the gospel and, in, in fact, uh, planting churches is difficult work. I remember speaking to an American man many years ago who'd been sent to Australia as a Presbyterian missionary to Australia. And uh, I said to him, I said, as an outsider... How would you describe gospel sharing in Australia? And he said to me, Scott, it's like trying to plough concrete. <laughs> and I related to that. I thought uh, that was very telling. I wonder how would you describe sharing the gospel in, in your world, amongst your family that perhaps don't know the Lord, amongst your work colleagues or people that you live near and, and so on, people who you're in contact with, uh, do you sometimes think it would be really handy to have a pneumatic drill? <laughs> uh, or are your friends and family a bit more responsive than that? Um, <clears throat> when we talk about evangelism, uh, we're really talking about the growth of God's kingdom, are we not? It's about the kingdom. It's about... God's kingdom and growing God's kingdom. And that's the issue that uh, we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks or so. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, we're going to have uh, the, the Hansons, uh, James and Leanne, are going to be sharing with us about how God's kingdom is growing in that great and mighty land of China. I'm looking forward to that. It'll be really interesting. Um, beyond that, I might actually be doing a couple of talks on the growth of God's kingdom after the book of Acts, but uh, more of that later. But today and next week, we're going to be looking at some of the parables which Jesus taught about God's kingdom. And I guess when we think of God's kingdom, <clears throat> we sometimes think of the great uh, <clears throat> moment at the end time, the heavenly reality uh, when we're seated around the throne of God. All those who have been soaked in the blood of the Lamb are seated at the throne of God, 
worshipping and praising him forever and ever where there is no sin, where there is no sickness, where there is no death or mourning or crying because the old order of things has been done. Are you looking forward to that? It's a picture of God's kingdom which uh, we need to have fixed in our minds. But the kingdom of God has been growing. Ever since the Lord Jesus stepped onto the stage of human history, ever since in Matthew chapter 4 when he commenced his earthly ministry by preaching the message saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's happening. It's just around the corner. Now, when we look at um, Matthew 13, Matthew 13, it wasn't a great reading from Hallie. I was so thrilled by that. It's, it's all about the, the parables. It, it's, it's what the kingdom of heaven is what the parables in Matthew chapter 13 are all about. And we love parables, don't we? I mean, they're, they're engaging stories which, which draw us in. And they, the parables of Jesus really teach us what a, what a masterful communicator our Lord Jesus was. How masterful he was. Now, I remember once as a, as a young uh, first year out of college minister, in my first church, I chose to preach on the most agricultural parable that there is, the parable of the sower. And there I was, fresh from the city, with my degree and all the answers. <laughs> and I found myself in a very small church in a tiny little country town called Ashford. Anyone been to Ashford? I know the Hamiltons have, certainly. Uh, Ashford. A little tiny, tiny, tiny country town. And the entire congregation were farmers. And during the sermon, there was a cow who almost stuck her head in through the window of the church. And there I was, teaching them a parable about farming. One thing I learnt that Sunday was just how incredibly gracious country people are. <laughs> and if you've got Matthew 13 open in your Bibles there, you'll see the story. Uh, these days, of course, farmers use machines to plant seeds, don't they? There's machines that, uh, that go along and they, they plant the seed, they stick the seed down to the, exactly the correct depth in exactly the correct soil so that they get the kind of harvest that they want. But first century farmers, they walked along pathways. They didn't have fences in those days. They just had these, these, um, these um, stones and, uh, and uh, <coughs> columns that uh, marked out person's farm, but they had uh, pathways that crisscrossed the, the farms, the fields, and the farmer would just walk along the, the pathway and scatter the seed. Now in this parable, and most of us know the parable, it's familiar, but I'm praying that we'll have fresh insight into this today. In this parable, as the farmer scattered the seed, um, it kind of fell in different sorts of places. Uh, some fell on the pathway, which was immediately snapped up by the birds, uh, some fell on soil, which was 
was not very deep because there was a limestone bedrock in that part of the world that, uh, uh, which was very close to the surface. And what that means is that soil that's uh, on rock, uh, it's, it's very warm, warm soil because it's so close to the surface and it, uh, the rock kind of helps it uh, retain moisture. And so in that soil, the plant just grows very quickly, but then it can't develop any root system, so it withers as soon as the sun comes out. It reminds me of the weeds that are growing in my gutters uh, on my roof at home. <laughs> And I get up there to clean out the gutters and there's these tall weeds and they're all dead because <laughs> they've just been growing in very, very shallow soil. Now, some weed, uh, some seed rather, fell amongst the thorns, which we're told grew up and choked the plant. Uh, so far, it's bad news for this farmer's harvest for this year. But in verse 8, some, some seed also fell on good soil and produced a magnificent crop. Now, the people who were listening to Jesus down by the lake there were people of the land. And it shows how Jesus, Jesus understood his audience and he made uh, the word of God relevant to them. Um, he knew how to capture their minds. But in verse 10, what we see here is that the disciples came to him privately with a question. Have a look at the question, verse 10. Okay, everyone into the text now. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and they asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Now, do you detect a degree of frustration in that question? I mean, it sounds like they're saying, look, Jesus, nice story, but what does it mean? <laughs> I mean, you know, why don't you just kind of spell things out clearly to people? Give us the bottom line. Now, we tend to think of parables as being nice stories to, uh, to make things easy to understand, a bit, a bit like a sermon illustration. But if that's the case, then why did the disciples not understand this particular parable? Why does Jesus speak in parables? Verse 11, he replied to their question, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them, not to the crowds. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, that those seeing they do not see, though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Now, Jesus told this story in verse 1. It was down by the lake. And the, he knew how to attract a crowd. And the crowd was so big that they, they, as they gathered around Jesus, if you were there, you wouldn't be able to see him or hear him. So what he did was he uh, created some space around himself by hopping on into a boat and going a few metres offshore. It's a natural kind of stage. So he could attract a crowd, but Jesus never reveled in popularity because Jesus knew that not everyone who was there that day was seeking after God. Some were. But others, well, there would have been people who were just curious. There were others who perhaps thought, well, I might get to see a miracle or two. 
There may have even been people in the crowd who hated his guts. The, uh, some of the religious leaders who were conspiring against him, who wanted to silence him, maybe even to kill him. And as a Jewish crowd, there would have been many there that day who assumed that they already had their spot in God's kingdom. Because whose descendants were they if they were Jews? They were the descendants of Abraham. And, uh, but yet, you see, being a descendant of Abraham was never a guarantee. It was never intended to be a guarantee. And in fact, hundreds of years earlier, uh, about um, in, the, in the 8th century BC, so that's between 700 and 800 BC, uh, the, God had raised up a man named Isaiah to be a prophet. Now, pro Isaiah prophesied throughout his lifetime. He saw many kings come and go, and he remained a prophet. But during the lifetime of Isaiah, there were many people in Israel at that time who trusted in being descendants of Abraham more so than did they have the faith of Abraham. And ungodliness, idolatry, rejection of the true God was rife. And so God gave Isaiah a vision. In Isaiah chapter 6, God gave Isaiah both a vision and a message. The vision that he gave was a vision of the utter holiness of God to which Isaiah could only feel his own sinfulness. But it was a vision uphold of the utter holiness of God and the message that God gave him to give to the people was a message that the time is up, that judgment is just around the corner. And so Isaiah was to say to the people, be people who've got ears but can't hear. Be people who have eyes but cannot understand because the judgment has been decreed. The Babylonians are coming. They are coming. The judgment will happen. Now, that's a frightening message. It's a message, though, which Jesus says ultimately is not just about the exile in Babylon, but here in verse 14, Jesus says it's actually about the crowds and about the judgment that is yet to come. Now have a look at verse 14, if you wouldn't mind. Verse 14, In them, that is in the people down by the lake, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Now what is Jesus saying? Well amongst the people in the crowd there were different people with different kinds of hearts. And there would be some who would be listening to the stories and they would be saying, yeah, great stories, but 
doesn't have any relevance to me. Nice and entertaining. Others would have thought, interesting story, I don't understand it. What does it mean? Maybe I've got to probe a bit deeper here. And these are the people who really have eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, the disciples were, in this particular case, a bit like that. Verse 16. Having spoken about the crowds, Jesus in verse 16 says to the disciples, But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now, notice the privileged position that the disciples are in. Godly men and women, prophets, men like Isaiah, who God had given a vision of the future to, they longed, they longed to know how it was that the promises that God had made to Abraham would be fulfilled. You remember those promises? There were three promises that weren't there. Revision test here, folks. He promised three things. First of all, A, begins with L, land. Second one, begins with P. Third one, begins with B, blessing. So everyone after three. One, two, three. A land, a people, and a blessing. All right, you're a bit rusty, but uh, we'll work on that, okay? A land, a people, and a blessing. How on earth, how would these promises ultimately be fulfilled? I mean, the land... Babylonians came and invaded, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took the people into exile. How would these promises be fulfilled? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near in Jesus and in his gospel. And so in this parable... Jesus is now preparing the disciple for for the mission that lies before them to take that gospel out into the world and to be those through whom the kingdom of God is built. And so in verses 18 through to 23, he explains its meaning. The seed is the message about the kingdom, the gospel. The soil is is the heart of the hearer. And there are four types of human hearts. In verse 19, like the seed which falls on the pathway, when the hearer of the gospel has a hard heart, the seed does not take root. Satan swoops and steals it away. Now, you know that kind of person, don't you? Uh, people who enjoy very much the creation, and boy, we enjoy the creation here in Port Macquarie, don't we? They enjoy the creation, but they've got no real time for the creator. People who, you try talking to them about God, and, well, the conversation just falls flat. Easy to talk about the weather. Although I might add, God is in the business of changing hearts. His pneumatic drill is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And uh, he's, so we need to keep on praying that God would change the hearts that are hard towards the gospel. So there is the hard heart. Secondly, in verses 20 and 21, there are people with shallow hearts. Now I'm going to read those for you. Verse 20. 
the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Praise the Lord. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. Uh, in the original there, it says something like, he's a transient. He's temporary. Because when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Now, <clears throat> like seed falling on that thin layer of soil, like the seed that's dropped by a bird into my gutters, where there's a bit of soil that should have been cleaned away a long time ago, the gospel just doesn't take root. Uh, they, they spring up quickly. They're all full of rejoicing, but uh, you know what? Being a Christian is not just about having Jesus as your saviour. It's also about having Jesus as your Lord. Right? And when it becomes difficult to have Jesus as their Lord, when things start to become a bit tough, maybe through persecution. Now, we don't really experience much by way of persecution in Australia, do we? I mean, uh, Perry and Karen Shaw have just written a letter uh, about one of their graduates in Beirut who's uh, just uh, completed his qualifications to be a minister and he's going into uh, the country where he is now going to be the pastor of a Christian church uh, he's going into Iraq where Christians are fleeing in fear of their lives he's going into Iraq to share the gospel you want to know about persecution? talk to him but we experience peer pressure don't we? the, uh, the, pr the pressure uh, to conform to the ways of the world and not to actually have radical views on Jesus and his death and his resurrection and his lordship. And so when persecution comes or when temptation to sin comes, uh, this person who started off so well just kind of fades away. So the shallow heart. Thirdly, in verse 22, there are those with crowded hearts where the seed of the gospel has taken root, where it has withstood the heat of persecution and temptation, but the plant is sharing soil with, with weeds and with thorns, which suck up the nutrients and slowly wind their way around their host and choke it. Now, I often think of this when I'm walking down to Shelley Beach from our place. <laughs> you ever seen that tree on the road? They had to build the footpath around the tree. And it's a mighty tree, but it's being choked, isn't it? It's a strangler vine, some sort of thing that's... And uh, you'll never be able to look at that tree again the same way, will you? Because it's like the, the, the kind of uh, seed in, in, the, in this soil that is very thorny that Jesus talks about here where the, 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 the weeds, the thorns just wind their way up around the plant and choke the person's love for God. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns 
is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. The worries of this life. You know, it's like when we worry about problems and instead of handing those problems over to God in prayer, like in Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, instead of handing those worries, those anxieties over to the Lord in prayer for our Father to deal with them, we try to deal with those things ourselves, not God's way, but our way. And so the worries of this life choke us. Well, we believe the lie which says that Life will be more fulfilling if only we surround ourselves with the premium products, uh, the luxury lifestyle, the things which money can buy, if only we had wealth. And our desire for the things which this world offers for satisfaction take the place in our lives that ought rightly to be reserved for God and God alone. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul warns that some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. It's very different from the psalmist who wrote, that as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants after you, O God. In you alone is my heart's desire. You alone are the one who can give me that which will fulfil my very existence, to be related to God, my Creator, and to find my hope and my joy and my, my future in Him no matter my circumstances. And so that's the crowded heart. It leads us to the fruitful heart. In verse 23, there are people who hear the gospel, understand the gospel, and make it their lives. Planted deep in their hearts with no competitors is this seed. Now, how do you know that when a seed has been planted in good, nutritious soil? You know it because it grows and it bears fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit, of course, is in in Galatians 5. Paul talks about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and, well, you know the rest. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, recently... I chatted with a very godly Christian friend who's, who's had a few health issues lately. And so I said to him, mate, how's the old ticker going? <laughs> and he says, well, Scott, you know, um, had a few problems, but I am 94, you know. <laughs> he says, it is to be expected. And he said, you know, the, uh, the Lord has been so good to me. <laughs> he said... I lived through a world war. How about that? He said, 
I survived a forced landing of my plane during the war. How about that? He said, the Lord has just blessed me and has just given me so much and has enriched me so much throughout my life. He said, I don't have anything to grumble about. How are you going, Scott? <laughs> you know, I happen to know that that man, he's not a minister, he's an ordinary Christian, uh, not a minister, uh, who are ordinary Christians, by the way, but he's just an ordinary guy. And I happen to know that through his uh, godliness, uh, through his faithfulness to the gospel over how many decades is that? Anyway, that he has had such an influence on other people that there are churches which are being led uh, by, by men who he has directly influenced for the gospel and those uh, churches being led by people who have been led by people who've been led in terms of the, what, what fruitfulness is that? Incredible fruitfulness. Now we may not necessarily have that same kind of fruitfulness in our lives but friends as we stand firm uh, as Christians as we live fruitful godly lives as we pray for others and as we share about Jesus we may be fruitful in ways that we will not realize until the day we stand in glory in heaven and see around the throne of God those who are there who we used to pray for or we used to share with or we used to teach Sunday school to or we used to decide you know, the, I'm always encouraged to remember that the man who shared the gospel with me one day doesn't have the foggiest idea that I became a Christian as a result of that conversation. Right? But he was faithful in actually spending some time with me and talking to me about Jesus and sharing the gospel. So be encouraged. So here we have the, in verse 23... Uh, these are examples of seed which, which is sown in good soil which produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Different yields, but it's a pretty good yield, isn't it? Now, <clears throat> so the four classic ways that people respond to the gospel, we've got the hard heart, we've got the shallow heart, we've got the crowded heart, and we've got the fruitful heart and it's really really important for us to grasp those different responses because as we're going to see next week when Peter preaches to us that God's kingdom it grows gradually sometimes it's growing under the radar you don't quite see it because it's not an earthly kingdom but it's growing and has been growing since the day Jesus stepped onto the stage of human existence and said, the kingdom of heaven is near. Sometimes, though, the kingdom is not growing the way that we think it should be growing. And we might even be tempted when we're uh, confronted with these different kinds of hearts to change the seed, to make the message easier for non-Christians to accept or to make the message less demanding for the person who kind of wants to have Jesus as their saviour but ain't all that keen on having Jesus as their Lord or change the message 
so that we don't end up with a gospel that actually challenges the Christian who is in the process of being choked but can't see it. But this parable teaches us not to be discouraged because all of these things are to be expected. So what should we not do? Do not change the seed. But finally, friends, the parables of Jesus are not just quaint stories to illustrate a point. They're actually choice makers which reach out and drag us into the story. The parable of the sower actually describes every single person here today and it exposes our heart. It shows us who we are and forces us, each one of us, to make a choice. Which soil do you want to be? Which soil are you? Can I lead us in prayer? Father, we want to uh, say today that we acknowledge that uh, there are different kinds of hearts and we pray for those here today who have a hard heart who uh, listen to your word but it just bounces off them. We pray that they would change. We pray for us, Lord God, if our heart is shallow, that we're thrilled to have Jesus as our saviour but we're not really all that keen on him as Lord. Change us, we pray. Father, we pray for those whose hearts are crowded, that we're allowing the thorns to grow up around us, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth. And Jesus, well, he doesn't have the place in our hearts that he ought. Change us, we pray. Help us to be fruitful Christians who persevere through difficulties, who trust you to take us through those difficulties and who look forward to that day when we will be seated around your throne. Help us to be people who are keen to share with others that great news of the kingdom and to pray for people and to live godly lives amongst people that we might indeed be the soil that bears great fruit for the sake of your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.